0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here. What a beautiful morning. Somebody say amen to that. I want to also welcome everyone who's joining us online and uh, want to give a special welcome to anyone who might be a guest with us this morning. If you've got a Bible, let me hear your pages turning to the book of Romans in the very first chapter, Romans chapter one. Last weekend, we kicked off a brand new message series from the book of Romans called Unashamed. And My son, Andrew, uh, told you in the opening message that while this is not going to be a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans, what we're going to do is we're going to look into each chapter and find the major themes of each chapter. However, there will be times when uh, we will be in a single chapter for more than one week, and that's the case with Romans chapter one. I thought Andrew's message was great last week as he introduced the book of Romans, and he highlighted what is really the main theme of the letter. We'll put those words up on the screen. It's uh, Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17, where Paul writes and says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That word gospel is a powerful word, so let's talk about it for a moment. In the original language of the New Testament, it's the Greek word euangelion, and literally translated, it means good News. And in this case, it's the good news that Jesus came into the world to give everyone who believes in him the opportunity for a new and a better life that comes when you live in fellowship with God. And believing in Jesus is the only way you have the opportunity to live in fellowship with God. And so, the thing that we need to understand about this is that this, this new opportunity, this living in fellowship with God, is not something that you and I can discover on our own. But the book of Romans is one of the many places in the Bible where we find a clear message about how that new and that better life, this good news can be experienced. And I want to show you that as we begin by highlighting some specific passages in the book of Romans. When I was in Bible college, I took a class called Personal Evangelism, taught by a man named Don DeWelt, who is a wonderful man, and he is passionate for uh, lost people. And uh, so he taught us a variety of different ways to share uh, your faith, to share the good news about Jesus with others. And one of the ways he taught us was just simply called the Roman Road, and it's called the Roman Road because it just utilizes verses exclusively from the book of Romans to explain what you need to do in order to experience the good news of a new life that's in fellowship with God. It starts with Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, where Paul says, for all, everyone say all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then you move to Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, says, but God demonstrates his Own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then we move on to Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. It says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Then we go backwards a little bit to Romans 6 verses one through four, where it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? By no means, we died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. And that's really the gospel message right there in those four passages from the book of Romans, because what you see in all of those are all the elements of salvation. First, you see the, the need to admit you're a sinner, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Not just others, but all. That means you and me. And then you see the need to believe in Jesus. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved And then you see uh, the need to demonstrate that genuine belief through genuine repentance in Romans 6, 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin, so how can we live in it any longer? And repentance, the very definition is turning away from sin and turning to God. Turning away from things that are displeasing to God to things that are pleasing to God. And then you see uh, the need to express that belief through baptism, through profession of faith and baptism. Romans 6, 1 through 4 goes on to say, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. But friends, it all begins with coming to a place in your life where you admit, everyone say admit, admit that you are a sinner. That's where it all begins. And that's always been a problem for people who want to live their life however they want to with no one telling them what to do. Uh, There's an old, old story told about a baseball player named Yogi Berra. Some of you who are old timers, you'll know who that is. Some of you younger folks, just go home and Google him or get your phone out right now and Google him because... That's what we do. He played catcher for the New York Yankees. One afternoon, they were, uh, they were playing a day game, and one afternoon, a, a batter came to the batter's box, but before he stepped into the batter box, batter's box to hit, he crossed himself, you know, like a Catholic does, before he got in the box, and Yogi Berra, who was himself a devout Catholic, saw what was going on, and he just said out loud, can we just play the game and leave God out of it? Now, more than anything else, I think he was just trying to be funny, but I think there's a lot that we can learn from that comment, Because it reflects the way so many people want to live their lives today. Can I just live my life the way I want and leave God out of it? Can I just play by my own rules and do what I want? Well, the answer to that question, I want you to listen to me really close. According to the passage of Scripture that we're going to study together today from the Apostle Paul is, no, you can't, even if you think you can, even if you think you are. The answer to that question is no, you can't. It's impossible to leave God out of your life, at least not without some serious consequences. And the reason why is simple. Because God created us, he doesn't give us the option of leaving him out of our lives And that's what we see in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. So if you've got your Bible open there this morning and you're able, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. Hey, if you're a guest with us today, this might seem odd, but we do it every week. We make the public reading of Scripture a part of our service, and because we have such respect and reverence for God's Word, we stand when we do it. Now, let me just tell you a couple things. This is a longer passage of Scripture than what we normally look at. It's uh, several verses, verses 18 through 32, and... It is, I don't know any other way to say it. It is a brutal passage of scripture. This will not be a sermonette with three reasons why you should feel better about yourself today. (laughs) This is brutal. And it goes right to the core of the reality of life in this world. So you follow along as I read. The wrath of God For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion Although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. All right, there it is. You can be seated, and we always ask that God would bless the reading and the hearing of his word. I'm gonna explain this passage of scripture to you this morning by using three words, three individual words, if you're someone who likes to take notes. Here's the first word. And it is the word revealed, revealed. And I say revealed because the first thing we see is the wrath of God revealed. That's how the passage begins. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you heard someone talk about the wrath of God? But you look back at verses 18 through 20 and it's clear. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. What's Paul saying here? Well, he's saying that the reality of God and the reality of God's wrath against sin has been revealed to humanity through his creation. But before we go any further and talk about that, let's talk about God's wrath for a moment, and let's begin with the question, what is it? What is the wrath of God? Well, here's a simple definition. God's wrath is his extreme and just judgment of sin. The English Standard Version translation of the Bible defines God's wrath like this. It is his personal anger, God's personal anger against sin it's extreme in that it's a terrible thing to experience and it's just in that it's what sinners deserve for their sin so needless to say god's wrath towards sin is not something that is well received by most people in fact i was reading volume one of james montgomery boyce's commentary on the book of romans and this is what he writes about this section of scripture Today's preaching is deficient in many points, but there is no point at which it is more evidently and in, evidently inadequate and even explicitly contrary to the teachings of the New Testament than in its neglect of the wrath of God. God's wrath is a dominant Bible teaching. And then Boyce goes on to talk about how so much of preaching today begins by addressing the felt needs of people. In other words, the things that people lack in their lives or the things that people long for in their lives. And he says, this can establish a connection between the listener and the preacher, but that's not the same thing as establishing a connection between the listener and God, which he says is what preaching is all about, to connect the listener to God. And so what Boyce is saying is that people, people like you and people like me, need to hear about the wrath of God so they, so we, can understand the consequences of God's wrath. We need an accurate understanding of the wrath of God because it has the power to shape our lives. But again, it's not something that we talk about very often because it's not something that is very well received by people. But if you look back at our text, especially verses 18 through 20, the first thing you have to notice is that the wrath of God is not arbitrary. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain. To them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. God is not showing His wrath toward people in an arbitrary way. He's not showing His wrath toward people because He's a mean God. He's giving people what they deserve because of their sin. That's the message of the Bible. That's why Paul writes the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. In other words, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against people who reject God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against people who say can't. We just play the game of life and leave God out of it by refusing to recognize and refusing to acknowledge the reality and presence of a God who's revealed every single day to us in every single aspect of creation. And so the answer to the question, can I just leave God out of it again, is no, you can't. God does not give anyone that option to leave him out of their life. He just doesn't. Because everywhere we look, we see the reality, the reality of God. Every, everywhere we look in creation, we see the reality of a creator. I mean, there are so many wonders in creation around us. But at the top of the list is that in all of creation, God is purposely showing himself to humanity And this isn't the only place in the Scripture where we're taught this. Look at these words from Psalm 19. We're going to start right here, right here. See that? See where my finger is right there? Read with me. Let me hear your voices. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. What's that verse saying? Just what I just said. You look around, and every aspect of creation shouts to the reality of a creator Think about a sunset, think about holding a newborn baby, think about the beauty of a husband and wife who have loved each other for 60 years. Consider the fact that the stars are held in the sky without plummeting to the earth and on and on. Creation not only screams that there is a God, but it tells us that he is powerful beyond anything you and I could ever imagine. In fact, in Romans chapter one and verse 20, Paul says creation shows us two things, God's eternal power and his divine nature. And when we ignore that reality, when we reject that message, when we suppress the truth of that message as a result of our rejection of God, we put ourselves in a position to experience the wrath of God. It's interesting that Paul uses the word suppress the truth. He says that's what people do, we suppress the truth about God. Did you notice that he didn't say that we disprove the truth about God? He didn't say that we ignore the truth about God, why? Because you can't do either one of those things. I don't care who you are. I don't care how clever you think you are. You can't disprove the reality of God and you can't ignore the reality of God. All you can do is exactly what Paul says. You can try to suppress that truth in your life. I don't know what you think about when you think about that phrase, suppress the truth, but when I was studying the passage, it made me think about going to the beach and taking an inflatable beach ball. You blow it up, you know, and you, and you throw it around and you, and you hit it back and forth. You take that ball out into the water where you're deep enough to say the water's up to your chest and you hold that ball under the water. Is that an easy thing to do? No, it's not. It takes some strength to hold that there. Because everything about that ball and the air inside of it wants to shoot forward, and you know that if you let go of it, that's exactly what it's going to do. It's, gonna, it's not just going to come up out of the water. It's going to fly up out of the water. And so, if your strength wavers in any way, or you lose your grip in any way, that's exactly what's going to happen. Well, that's what I think about when I think about the foolishness of people trying to suppress the truth of God today. Because, listen, you can't do it. You can't do it. Not forever. Just like you can't disprove the truth of God, you can't ignore the truth of God, you can't suppress the truth of God forever. You just can't. Because one day you will acknowledge the reality of who He is through His wrath. And when that wrath comes, you will be without excuse. And can we agree together this morning on what a tragedy that is for people? Can we agree together this morning that that should move all of our hearts when we think about the lost people in the world? When we think about the lost people that we know, the lost people in our lives, in our families, in our circle of friends that we work with, That we sit next to on the bleachers as we cheer our kids on in whatever sporting event or artistic event that they're involved in i was uh, imagining when i was putting this message together what it would be like to have a conversation with someone who uh, just suppress the truth of God in their life. It could be a man or a woman, just someone who doesn't believe in God. They say they don't believe in God. But have you ever noticed that a lot of people who say that they don't believe in God, a lot of self-professed atheists who say they don't believe in God, go on to argue against God like he is very real? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever known anybody in your life like that? It's kind of a crazy thing, isn't it? I don't believe in God, but then they're gonna spend the next 30 minutes telling you things about God that aren't really true. And so you're having a conversation with someone like that. And out of the blue, they say, I despise the God of Romans 1 because he's cruel, vindictive, and intolerant. And I especially hate the word wrath, the way Paul uses it in Romans 1 and verse 18 when he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. Then even though you're not saying anything, you know, a little later, you don't respond. Because you're thinking to yourself, well, you know, if you don't believe in God, why are you getting so exercised about God? A little later they say, I think all religious hypocrites and everyone who does evil in the name of religion should be lined up against the wall and shot. That's a pretty bold statement, wouldn't you agree? And even though you've been quiet, you know, you've just been there. Been quiet at this point. You just have to speak up and you say something like this. Well, hold that thought. I think you're onto something here. Let's talk. And they say, what do you mean? Well, you say, well... Injustice, lies, hypocrisy, evil, those things make you angry, right? They say, right. And you say, angry enough to do something about it, right? They say, right. Then you say, okay, then imagine for a moment that God really does exist. The God that you don't believe in, that you've been talking about for the last hour really does exist. Don't you think he would be at least as intelligent as you are? And don't you think he would be at least as moral as you are? Therefore, at least as outraged as you are about things that are wrong, but they don't say a word now. They're just quiet as a mouse. But you continue to say, so if you hate injustice and you want to do something about it, don't you think God does too? The only difference is God can do something about it. And friends, I'm telling you, that's exactly what Paul is telling us in Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 32, as he talks about the wrath of God revealed. It's hard to understand why some people find the idea of God's wrath to be so arbitrary and so mean and so malicious and yet have no problem expressing their own wrath or their own righteous indignation over the inequities of the world. So here's a question to consider. If it was your job, all you folks at home, if it was your job to create God, wouldn't you create a God who is opposed to evil? Now, someone will say, well, listen, pastor, if it was my job to create God, I wouldn't allow the existence of evil. In other words, I wouldn't allow people to have free will. I wouldn't allow them to make choices for themselves. But that's not the world God created. Evil exists in the world that we live in today for one simple reason, and that is people like you and me have the freedom to choose. We can choose right or we can choose wrong. We can choose good or we can choose bad. And when we do wrong, when we choose wrong, the consequence of that, if we're living in separation from God, will be to experience the full-blown wrath of god that's the message of romans chapter 1 beginning with verse 18 where we see god's wrath revealed here's the second word write this down the second word is the word rejected number one revealed number two rejected and for this we go back to romans chapter one but we start in verse 20 and we look down to verse 25 for since the creation of the world God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles." Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Everyone say amen. Amen. Well, here's how are we to understand that? Well, here's one really simple way. One reality of the world is many people suppress the truth of God, because they don't want to follow the commands of God. They don't want to obey the instructions of God. They don't want God telling them how to live their life. But yet at the same time, they still need something to devote their love and attention toward. And that's not difficult to understand. I'll tell you why. I want you to look at these words on the screen from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11. It's based on the way God created us, because in Ecclesiastes three eleven, 11, Solomon, who when he could ask God for anything in the world that he wanted, ask him for wisdom. And in that wisdom, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words. He has, God, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Now, we only have time to talk about this middle part. As Solomon talks about how God created us, he says, he has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Now, that word eternity in the original language of the Hebrew is the Hebrew word olam. it can be translated as darkness. It can be translated as eternity. It can be translated as future. The best translation actually is the way it's written here in my NIV Bible as eternity, as eternity because this is the reality of your life and my life and everyone else that was created in the image of God. He has set eternity in our hearts. He has set eternity inside of us at the very center or the very core of who we are. And because of that, it causes us to live and operate in a different way from every other form of life because having eternity in our hearts at the center of who we are gives us the ability to have this innate knowledge and understanding that there is more to life than what we can see. There's more to life what we can experience. There's more to life than what we're doing right now in the here and now, which leads us with a need for something or someone to acknowledge and worship. And so if you reject the one true God, the God of the Bible, then it just makes sense that you have to create something to be in his place. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here in this section of Romans 1, verses 20 through 25. Because in ancient days, people created literal idols, physical idols that they worshiped. And while the kinds of idols that are created have changed over the years, even though there's still people in the world today who who worship literal, physical idols that are images of man or images of animals and on and on and on, uh, the reality is that the creation of idols has changed over the years, but that doesn't mean that idols don't still exist. That doesn't mean that just because you don't have uh, some kind of an image, some kind of a stone or wooden or whatever image in your home that you bow down to and you worship and you pray to doesn't mean that you don't have idols in your life. I think everyone understands that because an idol can be anything you devote yourself to rather than devoting yourself to God. In fact, here's my best definition of an idol. My best definition of an idol is anything in your life that you think you can't live without. Now, you, want you to think about that for a moment. What, what do you love to do in your life? What hobby, what activity, what talent, what gift, what pursuit do you have in your life? What thing do you have in your life that you, if somebody told you, starting today, it was going to be taken away from you, you would never, ever be able to, Enjoy it again. How would that make you feel? An idol is anything in your life you think you can't live without. And when you worship an idol or you worship idols rather than the living God, then here's what happens. These, this is according to Paul's words in Romans 1 your thinking becomes futile and your heart becomes dark, and you become a fool. You become a fool. The Greek, in the Greek language, the word that's translated fool here in Romans chapter 1 is the same root word that's used to translate the word moron, which just happens to be my favorite word. <laughs> when I'm driving down the road, <laughs> there appears to be a lot of morons that are on the road with me. And, and I may have even said that about you at one time or another, and I apologize if that's the case. When you exchange God for an idol, when you exchange God's ways for sinful ways, you become a fool and a moron. And that's an that's incredibly sad thing to say about someone, but that's not the saddest part. The saddest part is not that you become a fool or a moron, according to God. The saddest part is that when you reject God like this, He gives you the freedom to do it. He does. And we see that in the very last part of verse 24 when Paul says, therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts. When you reject God and his ways, he'll allow you to walk whatever path you choose to walk and as you do that, you're just gonna get farther and farther away from him and you're putting yourself in greater danger of experiencing the full reality of his wrath. And think about that, friends. The God who created you in his image, the God who wants nothing more than to love you, the God who wants nothing more than to guide your life, the God who wants nothing more than to to give you a better life than you could ever imagine or create on your own, will allow you to reject him. The God who loves you so much will allow you to reject him. And if you want to leave God out of the game of life, he'll let you do it but it will be at your own peril. Amen. And the word peril is not a strong enough word to describe the reality of what you're choosing. And that brings me to the final word, and that's the word released. The first word revealed, the second word rejected, the third word Released. And we go to verses 26 through 32. I'm trying to cover the whole text as quickly as I can. Paul says, because of this, because of this rejection, because you say, I'm gonna, can't we just leave God out of everything? Can I just leave God out of my life and do what I want? Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion... Furthermore, that since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them." I can't speak for you, but just reading that part of the passage makes me think that we are right now, today, living in the reality of the deepest level of sin that's been completely released in this world. Am I alone in that? You ever had a stubborn, willful child? Don't name names. (laughs) Who insisted on doing everything their way and even though you told them over and over again that it wouldn't work, even though you explained specifically why it wouldn't work that way, they, even though you warned them of the consequences of trying to do things their way in light of the knowledge you've just shared with them, they just continued on that path, they wouldn't relent. And so, as a parent, you came to a place where you thought to yourself, okay, maybe the best thing is to just let them learn the hard way so that they can see for themselves how badly this will turn out and maybe that will help them down the road. That's an applicable illustration because what Paul is teaching us in this last part of our text is that if we constantly reject God over and over again, he will give us over to our sin and sin will be released unlike anything we've ever experienced before. Tell me that's not happening in the world right now today. Convince me that I'm wrong. Notice how Paul starts off by describing the disgraceful and wretched sexual behavior happening among the Romans in verses 26 and 27. And I told you in our recent message series called Truth Over Trend that the reason Paul, it was the message we had on transgenderism, the reason Paul chooses sexual immorality and perversion as the first thing he talks about as he describes sin completely released and unleashed in the world is because how how special sexuality is. God created sexuality to be a wonderful gift to be celebrated and enjoyed in a certain setting, and that's the covenant of marriage between a man and woman, a husband and a wife. And now he's communicating how far away... From God's will and God's plan, the expression of sexuality has become, as it's steeped in sin, we see that in same-sex relationships, in adultery, in pornography, in pansexuality, in bisexuality, in transgenderism, and you can go on and on and on, because tomorrow there'll be something new. And I'm not saying that to try to beat anybody up or to try to shame anyone. I'm saying it because I feel compelled, friends, I feel genuinely compelled in the deepest part of my heart to say that what Paul is telling us here is that the deeper we go into sin, the more confused and foolish we become. That's the danger of sin. In fact, if, if, if there's anyone listening to me right now, either in person or online, anybody at all listening to me who is, is seeking some level of clarity about sexual expression or human sexuality, then here's the, the best and the clearest thing I can say. If you want clarity, you turn to God. You turn away from God, and all you're going to get is more and more confusion, which is what we see happening around us every single day. But then you notice that just in case someone is tempted at this point, through this progression of the text to say, yes, I mean, you, you tell them, pastor, no, you be stronger than that pastor. These people, these dumb people need to hear it. You tell them, you tell these people what the consequences are of doing this terrible things. Paul continues with his list of sin. And you know what? It's not just people who are struggling with sexual issues. Let me just remind you Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Now that brings all of us into the picture. You know, he even lists some things that somebody might be tempted to think of as simple sins like gossip. Well, that's in the list. Or disobeying their parents. That's in the list. And he does that because all of that is a part of the foolishness and a part of the wickedness of humanity that's brought on when we're devoted to ourselves rather than devoted to God. And you and I can't think for even a second. No one can think for even a second that our sin is any less foolish than anyone else's or our sin is any less wicked than anyone else's. Because the bottom line is when you reject God, you'll discover that life without God is nothing but a downward spiral. It just goes further and further and further down. And so Paul wraps everything up in verse 32 by saying, although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things but approve of those who practice them. We could be reading USA Today. What a tragedy. But friends, this is the the result of sin and God's wrath is revealed for sin and for sinners. And so in this passage, Paul talks about the wrath of God revealed because we see God rejected, which ultimately leads to sin released. I told you it was a brutal passage of Scripture. But that doesn't have to be the final message. And the team can get ready to come Because the book of Romans, as we heard so well last week in Andrew's message from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, reminds us that the gospel is still there for all of us. And the gospel has the power to change anyone's life. Doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, or what you've done. In fact, in that same commentary on the book of Romans from James Montgomery Boyce, he ends this section of scripture that we've looked at today with these words. When we come to Christ, the question is not how low can you go? We are done with that. The question is how high can you rise? And to that question, the answer is no limit. This is a paragraph I wrote in my notes. I wrote, I am 64 years old less than two months away from being 65. I've been in church my entire life, literally since I was a baby in the nursery. I made a public profession of faith in Christ and was baptized into him when I was 10 years old. But I have never in my life been more thankful for my salvation than I am today. And I would imagine some of you would say the same thing. And so this is... a song that came to my mind and just went over and over in my mind as I was thinking about how, how serious and sober this passage of Scripture is, but at the same time remembered the message of the gospel. Thank you, Lord. Sing this with me. For saving my soul. Thank you, Lord for making me whole thank you lord for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free